Welcome to Journeys of Teaching. I'm Aaron R. Gearhart. This week, we are exploring the journey of Brenna Chambers. Brenna is the manager for professional learning at the Arizona Science Center in Phoenix, Arizona. Let's hear from Brenna about the work she and her team do across the state of Arizona through the Arizona Science Center. Just because we're we're doing a lot of things and a lot of different I noticed things. that on the website, yeah. <laughs> so it it is a long-winded answer. But essentially, we're just my department at least is trying to support teachers in their endeavor with teaching science. And and that looks different for different areas. And so one of the things we do is professional development where we go to different schools, different districts, and we travel all over Arizona. And the great thing about programs that we do, like the one I did last week, is that we really work with a school or a district to really understand what their needs are and help them make a plan for what would support their teachers. Um, And so it's really this co-creation process um, that I think is really important. And so that's kind of a pillar of things that we do. We do this early childhood science series um, where um, I do it usually in the fall and teachers come on Saturdays, but then I can also travel and take early childhood science series to them as well. Um, And then we do something called the STAR program. This is kind of our big pillar, um, one of them that we do, and it's our science teacher residency. And so essentially teachers come to the science center for free to do 40 hours of professional development with us on a certain concept. So for example, next or next week, we'll be doing environmental science module. So we teach environmental science, we model it to them, but really it's about the pedagogy. So we're focused on misconception-based teaching. We focus on the 5e learning cycle, cultivating 21st century skills with students, using formative assessment probes to inform instruction. Um, And we're really modeling all of that just based on a certain science standard band. Um, The great thing about that is that because we have some amazing funding um, from certain grants and and certain organizations, all teachers walk away with all the materials that they would need to recreate the the module that we did with their students. They also get a year of ongoing coaching and mentoring from us. Um, And then they're still in those same cohorts that they were in for the 40 hours. They also get to help each other. And so... Um, That is one of my favorite things we do, especially because we invite a lot of rural teachers and we um, pay for their hotel, their gas reimbursement, their meals for the week. And then all teachers get a stipend for their time because we really want it to be with any other profession. How would we treat professionals that are going to a conference and doing, you know, continuing education? And so we're going to provide that. On the last episode, we heard Brenna's stories about her classroom teaching career, including her jump from teaching in the early childhood and kindergarten settings to working as a fifth grade math teacher, finding ways to integrate open-ended learning, play, and student choice amidst the standardized nature of formal public schooling. Today, we conclude our time with Brenna as she shares about her current role, facilitating professional development sessions focused on science education and leveraging play and student choice. It's interesting. I mean, there's nothing like the four walls of that classroom. I mean, right. you just can't find anything like that. It really is so unique and 
just so personal and relationship based where yes. now there it is different. Um, but I still, I still feel the impact and it's just a new, a new way of, of doing right. the same thing. <laughs> well, and I, and I got to observe that. So I went to your session at NSTA where it focused on, um, play in STEM education and like to, I, I coordinate our STEM endorsement program here at Columbus state. So like I see those things and I'm like, oh, okay, I get how that goes together. But for others, that may not be an obvious connection to make because I think sometimes we look at STEM and we think, oh, it's coding, it's engineering. It's, it's these very specific career trajectory oriented things. But you look at it from like an early childhood lens, it makes all the sense in the world. So like when you do PD specific for like early childhood educators, do you find that they buy what you're selling right away just because that's where they're coming from as early childhood educators? Or does it take, I don't want to say convincing because that takes like a negative mindset to it, but like mm-hmm. for some that may not be an obvious connection and that you have to sell them on a little bit. Tell me a little bit about that and how you go about structuring the the PD work that you do with teachers. Yeah, that's a great question. And I, I do notice differences from even elementary, middle school and high school educators yeah. that we work with and the early childhood, particularly preschool, kindergarten, toddler um, ages that they serve. And I think the main thing is that they don't see themselves as science teachers or STEM teachers. Mm. Um, I think there's an identity piece to it where a middle school teacher comes in and they probably only teach science and they are strong in that they're a science teacher a STEM teacher. And so the professional development they go to is STEM related. And for early childhood educators, really what they're doing every day because of what kids that age naturally do um, is STEM. And so they, you know, they want to take things apart. They want to put it back together. They want to ask a million questions (laughs) about whatever it is Um, they're doing. They're doing STEM, um, but they don't maybe realize. It's almost like an acknowledgement or like an empowerment piece that's needed there, which I'm going to assume that's what you're about to tell me is kind of at the core what you do for them then. Yes, I think so. And I think that for them, they, they need to experience it. And so that's what we do in the professional development sessions is that they, they experience what they would do in their classroom. And then they realize, wait, I'm doing this, or I did something similar to this. And so they start making those connections because I think a big part of it is they think a science lesson is this demonstration or this activity where we're whole group and I have bulleted things that I want them to know by the end of it. And I'm going to stand up there and pour the vinegar in and they're all going to come away with the knowledge. Yeah. And really most science instruction shouldn't be that way. Um, you know, kids should be investigating for themselves. They should be exploring. They should be touching things and putting them together. And so once they see that that is what I'm talking about, when I'm talking about sense-making with phenomena, um, I think that they start to realize that they do it and then they feel more confident in their ability to do more of it. Right. So you said that when you, and I got to experience this too, but I would rather hear you describe it. When you structure like a workshop or a series of workshops, you get the participants doing and experiencing those types of activities so that they get a better sense of this is how and why this is science or STEM or whatever. So like, can you give me an example of like something you facilitated recently, just as a, for example, for people to hear about? 
Definitely. So one of my favorite um, PDs that I do in early childhood is, is about developing language and early literacy skills through science mm. instruction. And I just was doing it last week with some amazing educators in Scottsdale district. And we were working on the concept of balance. And so we started, I read to them a children's book, um, very simple. It's just a mouse on either side of a teeter totter and then a bird joins and now it's off balance. And so we talked about how the book can introduce the word balance to students and they can see it very clearly what's happening there. Yeah. And then the act, we did four activities on balance. And so they numbered off one through four in their table groups that the teachers did. And then let's say number one, they were in charge of um, cultivating um, rich dialogue with students. Let's say that's what they needed to focus on. And so then they got to open an envelope and they were the only person who got to read the activity. And then there were some tips from me of how they could cultivate rich dialogue. And yeah. then they actually um, went through the balance activity with the people at their group as if they were the teacher and the other three were the student right. in that scenario. And then we'd come together and the students would tell me what they noticed the teacher do that really helped cultivate a rich dialogue about science. Um, and I think just the that getting to practice it in a safe environment where you don't have 20 kids looking at you, yes. um, you know, is, is helpful and they can see. And then I guess the main thing is they can see the other teachers and, and their approach, because I think that's a big thing missing, you know, for me, that would have been helpful is getting to see other teachers, even the teacher next door to me, I don't get to see them teach. Um, you know, once you're done with student teaching, you just see yourself and what you're doing. It's a very isolated endeavor teaching sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And, and so they get to see each other teach and, you know, someone is singing a song <laughs> in the corner and, <laughs> and others aren't as comfortable with that. And, yeah. and so they get to learn from each other, but then also the actual activity itself, all of them are very simple. They use very simple materials um, to show that it doesn't have to be this elaborate uh, demonstration, this elaborate activity right. that they can teach kids about balance with a beanbag, <laughs> for example. I remember the session that you led at NSTA, you, you based a lot of it around literature and there was one station, I think there was a couple different versions of the three little pigs. And then you provided um, different materials that would kind of simulate brick uh, versus sticks mm -hmm. versus uh, straw or hay or whatever. But then you kind of, the point that you made that stuck with me was like, it's for them to decide how to construct it. They, you know, hopefully the story would inform some of their design choices and this is play, but it's also very much engineering. But I, I wonder too, I, I see this sometimes with some of the pre-service candidates I work with. The struggle is not maybe designing the activity, but it's, it's letting go and being a facilitator. Mm -hmm. Cause like, nothing's more scary than not knowing how it's going to turn out. Right. Mm -hmm. Do you find that that's something you have to help the professionals you work with kind of work through or get past a little bit? Definitely. Um, I do think that's a big part of it. And there was a, an educator in the sessions I did last week and she had just the best example. Yeah. Um, and so now I'm going to share it with you and I'll <laughs> probably share it every time uh, I do a session. But we were talking about um, engineering 
And we were talking about letting kids have a bunch of materials and see what they come up with and let them tell us stories about what they made. And there were some educators in the room that weren't as comfortable with that and some that have this whole setup in their classroom where they have all these shelves with just materials and it's a center they can go to every day and they just make a mess basically. And, you know, um, explore materials. And so they were, they were having discussions about how does that work? (laughs) How does that look? How do you just let them have tape? You know, I know if I give my kids tape, it's going to be all rolled out and all in a ball within five minutes. And so this, teacher was talking about that and she was specifically talking about glue Um, (laughs) a big problem with with preschoolers that white glue um it's just a mess and so she was saying that she pretty much at the beginning lets them go for the glue and she they learn really quickly what too much glue is um because it sticks to the table they have to go get the sponge they have to scrub it off and she has them do all of that and so they start to realize really fast for themselves oh i need to not pour so much glue out right and then she was talking about how she has a a bin of cork um like wine wine bottle cork. And she had a kid the other day who put out a copy paper and then put glue and put the wine corks in a row. And then of course, let it dry for a minute, but then lifted it up and the paper just folded in half because the cork was too heavy for copy paper. And she said, I just observed it. We, I went over, you know, helped them. It ended up having to be recycled. And then I didn't really even say much else And then the next day he walked over, grabbed a piece of cardboard and did the same thing with the cardboard. Wow. Um, And then was telling the other kids about how it it was going to be a lot stronger. And she said just that, which seems so simple, we kind of take away from them by, oh, only this much glue or, you know, um, just really controlling the environment so that there isn't a mess when sometimes that's what they need in order to learn how to use tools effectively and how to figure out the the properties of materials and figuring out which would make the most sense for a certain project. I love that story. And I think you do need to use that every time you work with folks because it just, it illuminates the whole thing about letting go a little bit and being open to possibilities. And that's what STEM is and what play is, which is why it should go together, right? One of the more challenging tasks of classroom teaching is letting go of control and allowing students to make choices, ask questions, and even get messy. We cannot know for sure what the outcomes will be. In an increasingly standardized world, teachers are pressured to produce test results and the future citizens and professionals of tomorrow as we try to fill career positions that may not even exist yet in their eventual forms. However, quote unquote letting go positions students as human beings with passions, desires, goals, interests, and sociocultural identities, rather than lumping them together as data points and cogs in the economic machine. To allow students to go for it is to empower them, and that is what I will take away from my conversation with Brenna Chambers. I want to thank Brenna for sharing her teaching narrative on this podcast. You can connect with Brenna on LinkedIn and learn more about the Arizona Science Center at the URL provided in the episode description. 
Next week, we will explore the narrative of Dr. David Kieran, an associate professor and Colonel Richard R. Halleck Distinguished Chair in Military History at Columbus State University in Columbus, Georgia. My contact information is in the episode description. This is Journeys of Teaching. I am Aaron R. Gearhart, and thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.